Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The state of our union is, well, debatable, I guess. That's the conclusion easiest to draw from President Joe Biden's first official State of the Union speech and the varied reactions to what he said. We're going to talk with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat who actually offered her own response to Democratic President's speech. We'll also hear from Senator Gary Peters and Republican PR consultant John Truscott. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu. It's time to bury the label Rust Belt. It's time to see... The, what used to be called Rust Belt become the, the, the home of a, a significant resurgence of manufacturing. That is the voice of President Joe Biden giving his first formal State of the Union address before a joint session of Congress last night. The speech covered a really long list of Biden's accomplishments in his first full year as president, as well as his priorities moving forward. Of course, the backdrop for this speech is the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, and what that means for Americans and for the rest of the world. The State of the Union speech is always, of course, followed by a response from someone who represents the opposite party of the president who is in office. But this year, there were also Democrats giving responses to the speech, something we really haven't seen before. One of those Democrats was Detroit's own Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who gave the Working Families Party response last night. Let's take a listen to just some of that speech. Some important parts of the president's agenda became law with the infrastructure bill, but we campaigned on doing even more. Roads and bridges are critical, but so are childcare and prescription drugs. And we shouldn't have to choose. So that was Rashida Tlaib offering something of a response to President Joe Biden's State of the Union address. And that is where we begin the conversation today with a look back at the president's speech and at the response. And joining us to talk about that response is Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat from Detroit who represents Michigan's 13th district. She is uh, planning to run for re-election this year in Michigan's new 12th district. She delivered the Working Families Party response to last night's State of the Union address. Rashida, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So I'm going to start off here. You've been criticized for giving a response to the president's speech. You are of the same political party that he is. Uh, Tell us why you decided to do this, and then tell us a little more about the Working Families Party and what that is. Yeah, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I'm also part of the Working Families Party. 
which supports and builds a multiracial working class that is fighting, you know, to make sure that government puts the needs of working families first, which is the majority. I mean, these are majority of our neighbors that work check by check. And, and those are the folks that, you know, need to be calling the shots, not, you know, corporate donors and others. So the Working Families Party was a way to engage the frontline workers, to engage those that didn't feel seen or heard. And again, building coalitions, you know, Working Families Party works directly with one of their partner coalition members, Detroit Action, you know, which has been on the front lines to fight against the foreclosures and fighting for $15 minimum wage and so much more. And, you know, the success of the Democratic Party is to engage residents in that way, to support this kind of coalition building. And if anything, again, to me, it's a huge asset in supporting the president's agenda. What he laid out last night uh, from childcare to prescription drugs to be able to afford insulin and so much more, including voting rights uh, and other things that I know our, you know, residents at home care deeply about. Uh, if anything, working families parties out there actually putting the work in, going door to door, doing the direct contact, keeping people engaged, not just knocking on their doors when there's a candidate or knocking on their doors when it's election time, but keeping people engaged on these issues that matter. Because for us, that's how we're going to be successful in getting the Build Back Better agenda done, mm-hmm. uh, if in whole or if in part. Uh, but I think their voices need to be at the center. So, so uh, talk to me just a little about the the I guess the 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 positioning here in your speech. You didn't criticize the president for the things that he's done or even for the things that he hasn't achieved. Uh, but I think a, a fair read of the optics is. Uh, that it was a little bit of an upstage, right? That that um, this is the night that the, the the party is represented through the president who's in office, and having you know a member of Congress deliver a response kind of sucks the wind out of out of the president's sales. How how would you answer that kind of criticism? You know, I think people need to know the Congressional Black Caucus did a response. You know, another mm-hmm. coalition uh, group did a, a response. But also, mm-hmm. know this, you know, a lot of my colleagues get on some of the national media outlets. They tweet out a response to it. Mm-hmm. They get out there. And they, for me, I, w- I wasn't talking only to the president. If you hear the speech, and I hope people really listen to it, I was talking to the base of people that helped get him elected, mm-hmm. that you know, he brought people in the room that had never been in the room before. You know, those folks that were working on climate crisis in the same room as those that were working on paid leave and child care and the same people that were working on housing justice were in the same room as people that were working on health care. You know, the president did that, Stephen. He brought folks together. And for me, I want to inspire that base because I know, I know the Civil Rights Act, uh, labor laws that we have in our country, it wasn't because of who was in Congress. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because of who was in the White House. It was because of organizing them in the community, is engaging people, regular folks that sometimes are intimidated by the elections or candidates, but not the issues. The issues is what brings us all together. And I talked about that connectivity. I talked about those hopes and dreams. And for me, if anything, I wasn't going to go and do a two-minute spot on one of the national media outlets in response of support to the president. I wanted to also speak to the people, the people out there that I know, if we keep them engaged and really give them hope, because I know the president, you know, for us is that door. He may not be the complete destination, but he's the door. He's the door to a better quality of life for so many families that are still struggling before the pandemic. And now it's just gotten worse for them after the pandemic or during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
So let's talk about uh, Build Back Better, which which you you've referenced a couple of times. Y- you were absolutely right uh, when you said uh, to me uh, last year that passing the infrastructure bill uh, without Build Back Better was giving up Democrats' leverage and making it uh, would make it harder to get Build Back Better. Uh, passed uh, because of these these votes by uh, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, two senators who are Democrats but who are pretty pretty conservative. Um, so, where does that leave us in your mind right now? Do do we have any chance to get parts of Build Back Better passed, or were you right that that we would end up with nothing? No, we're not going to end up with anything. You know why? Because again, the will of the people to me really does move the needle. Uh, people are going to start showing up to these town halls talking and, and about the fact, I, I can tell you, I've never thought it took what, how long, but finally, finally, I have Republican colleagues talking about reducing the cost of insulin for the first time. Hmm. I have my, our governor in Michigan talking about reducing the cost of insulin. You know, uh, uh, I had, a, you know, this amazing young person named Carly was one of the first people I met with. She lives in Redford Township. You know, she's a young person that her mother, her mother has to, I mean, it puts me to tears, actually, Stephen, every time I talk about it, mm. has to struggle so much to provide insulin that, you know, as a mom, I keep thinking, my God, that's like, like if she doesn't get this, she dies. And I just think in the richest country in the world, it just shouldn't be this hard it, to thrive and to have a good life. And if anything, I wanted to speak to those folks. I didn't want to be the one two-minute spot. I don't want to send out a tweet or a statement. I wanted to talk to them. I wanted them to give hope because I tell, I'm telling you, you know, when, when the resident came up to me and said, you know, Rashida, I helped make calls in getting the two Georgia senators elected. And I said, thank you. She goes, but it didn't work. I said, but no, it did. Those two senators did not hesitate once mm-hmm. to voting for voting rights. They didn't hesitate once to voting for the Build Back Better agenda. But that's what we got to keep doing. We got to keep electing those that put working families at the forefront of their decisions. That's who we got to keep elected. If anything, it should give people hope that it is shifting, that we're getting people there that have the lived experience, that understand that our families are struggling. We're done. We're done having folks that have been there. It's, it's, their turn is done. We need to have people that understand uh, and have empathy mm-hmm. of the importance of child care, the importance of the child tax credit, and so much more. So, so you, you, you mentioned that you've got Republican colleagues now talking about at least one of those, those, those kind of issues. I, I wonder what you make of the prospect for a, a change in the way that, uh, that I guess, in the makeup of, of, of Congress. Are you optimistic that growing, I guess, progressive representation, whether that whether that is in the form of more Democrats or, I guess, in the form of Republicans who become more progressive about certain issues. I mean, do you feel like that you're gaining momentum there or, or are we stalled? You know, look, growing up in Detroit, I just know this. I know the consciences, you know, folks get engaged, the conscious of, of, of minds, of people being engaged. To me, that's what gives me hope. When I start focusing too much on um, uh, the, the electoral kind of politics, which is important, but if I know folks are engaged in these communities and they turn out, we win. Mm-hmm. And that's what I said. I said, this is not our time. It's, you know, it's not enough to fight the far right. 
the folks that want to take away, you know, voting booths in black neighborhoods or take away our access to mail-in ballots. It's not enough. It is important to vote in every election, you know, primary and the general, but it's also important to be engaged. You know, I really believe we were able to get those two Georgia senators elected because people around the country felt like this is going to be our pathway to being heard and seen in Congress. And that's what I'm building on. That's what I'm hoping for. And honestly, you know, Stephen, as I look at what happened in Texas, uh, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful we're going to get a working class, you know, majority in Congress that is going to speak, uh, but also act on behalf of so many people, uh, especially the Americans that, again, are living check by check and need our help. Yeah. Uh, And and before we move on, I just want to make a really, uh, I think, important point. I think the phrasing that you're using is super important there. The working class, working families, uh, that takes it out of the the crude kind of political divide that I think we've set up that says, you know, Democrats are for, for one kind of family and Republicans are for others. Working families exist in both parties. And maybe one way to get to a better politics is to stop talking about things in those uh, in those political terms and talking about them in the, the in the terms that could unite us and working families is one of them. All right, I, I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about the president's handling of Ukraine. That is on everyone's mind. It is uh, the the headline on on every newspaper and 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 television station. What do you make of how he's dealing with that so far? Yeah, I, you know, again, I we all have uh, come together in standing for um, you know the people of Ukraine. And I just want us as laser focused, not only, you know, the pushback on Putin, but also to save lives. So to, you know, work towards an immediate ceasefire, diplomatic resolution. Uh, we really need to target sanctions that put pressure on Russia's billionaires, not the everyday Russians who we, you know, had no choice in this conflict. And many, many thousands are courageously protesting right now as we speak. And so I just hope we're not putting aside the humanitarian response that I think needs to be critical part of how we address this and that we can really promote human rights and dignity at the same time of obviously holding, um, you know, a country and a regime accountable uh, for violating international law. But I, I am at a point that I want to prioritize cooperation diplomacy and really, really work towards that. Because I, I do know that as we all are building this coalition and having others come together, not one nation, not only us on alone and don't act alone, that's, I think, going to help us, again, save lives. I'm worried um, that if we don't come together, uh, you know, more innocent lives are going to be forever changed, uh, not only by death, but trauma that war, um, war exposes our, the children there and, and so many. Yeah. Okay, uh, Rashida Tlaib, Democrat from Detroit, who represents Michigan's 13th congressional district. It's always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to another Democratic member of Michigan's congressional delegation. Senator Gary Peters is going to join us to talk about his reaction to President Joe Biden's State of the Union address. We also want to get going on the phones and on social media. What did you think of President Biden's first formal State of the Union address last night? Did you agree with what he said about 
Ukraine or climate change or negotiating the price of pharmaceuticals? What about making childcare more affordable? Do you think he went too far? Do you think that Rashida Tlaib, who we were just talking with, uh, went further? And did you like that? Uh, the idea of her saying, hey, we could, we could do better. We could do more. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter. The comments there and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. Again, that's President Joe Biden in front of a joint session of Congress giving his first formal State of the Union address last night. Uh, We're talking this hour about what the president said, what the reactions to it were, and we want to hear what you think. What did you think of what the president laid out as his agenda for this year? What do you think about the things that he took credit for in the speech? Are they things that have made your life better uh, since he's been president? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and put comments there, and we can include you in the conversation that way. We've got another guest now who uh, we're going to get reaction from about the president's speech. Uh, Gary Peters is the junior Democratic senator from the state of Michigan. Uh, Gary, welcome back to Detroit Today. Well, Stephen, always a pleasure to be with you. Hope you're well. Yeah, you too. Uh, Let's start with this. What was your reaction to President Biden's speech? Well, of course, I liked it. I thought uh, he had the right tone, uh, the right message. Uh, First started off talking about the the crisis in Ukraine and standing up for the Ukrainian people who are just showing incredible courage uh, in the the face of uh, the Russian army and uh, Putin descending upon them. And but then also talked about uh, the challenges that we face, clearly, as a country over the last couple of years dealing with the pandemic and uh, the other challenges that we face and talked about uh, the future and how we continue to move forward to a normal. So I thought it was uh, he covered a lot of ground uh, during that time period, but we've got a lot going on right now. Yeah. So you're a member of uh, Senate Armed Services, of course, but you're also a member of the Senate Ukrainian caucus. So I wonder what you're hearing about the situation on the ground with Russian forces in Ukraine and how sanctions are, I guess, affecting this invasion. Well, in in terms of sanctions first, I mean, the the thing that is truly remarkable is the the overwhelming support for the Ukrainian people by the world community and the democracies around the world who realize that Putin's uh, actions are are uh, are unconscionable to invade a country, a peaceful country, uh, simply cannot be tolerated uh, in this uh, world. And the, the countries uh, that are all coming together under and U.S. leadership, a lot of credit goes to President Biden to bring the coalition. NATO is now stronger than it has been in decades. Uh, but other countries that are also putting sanctions on and sending aid, uh, countries like Switzerland, Switzerland, who has a history of neutrality, says they cannot be neutral. Sweden, other countries coming to, together to stand up for the Ukrainian people who are showing incredible courage of grabbing weapons. Everyday folks uh, grabbing weapons are going to fight for their freedom, understand that freedom is something you have to fight uh, for. Uh, and uh, and that's happening, having a big uh, 
really a big impact uh, on the ground uh, as well. And we're going to continue to provide uh, military aid uh, to uh, the Ukraine and uh, we'll uh, uh, continue to support humanitarian efforts uh, as well. We're going to be taking up some additional action here in Congress uh, to do that. But providing them with the weapons they need to fight Soviet, or if I say Soviet, it's like the old Soviet <laughs> Empire, the Russian uh, Russian uh, armor uh, coming across the border uh, will, is making a difference on the ground, and we're seeing that what uh, Putin thought was going to be a fairly quick campaign is going to be anything but that. Yeah. So I, I want to get you to talk a little about what we might need to do or think about if sanctions don't ultimately stop this. I mean, now I also think there there are a number of things in play that seem to be frustrating this effort anyway, and that uh, the Russian army is not as maybe prepared as we thought it would be to, to, to invade another country. But but what if this keeps going? And the, what if what we're doing doesn't work? What, what else should we be considering? Well, I think we've, we've got to take, give some time for, for sanctions. Uh, the economic sanctions, and these are, these are uh, very severe. The, the SWIFT system that you probably talked about uh, for international banking is a, is a major sanction. Uh, and had we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, people were saying that would probably never happen. Uh, people would have said you wouldn't see all these countries imposing sanctions at, at the same time uh, against uh, Russia. But sanctions do take some time, uh, but uh, they are going to be significant, and the people of Russia are going to feel uh, the the cost of uh, these sanctions, and hopefully that can put pressure on Mr. Putin if he feels that pressure from the people. I don't know. Uh, he's clearly uh, engaged uh, in something that he miscalculated uh, in a dramatic uh, fashion. But I'm confident uh, they will continue that. Those just those sanctions that have already been put on, and we'll likely see more, will put significant pressure uh, on uh, the Russian economy that will have a have an impact. And even uh, you know, even if uh, some central cities uh, in Ukraine uh, are uh, are breached uh, by Russian forces, and Kiev uh, Kiev may very well have that happen at some point. I think you're, it's very difficult to have control of a country of 50 million plus people who simply do not want you to be there and are willing to take up arms to fight against you. This mm. is uh, this is not going to go well uh, for Russia. Yeah. So uh, you're leading the effort in the Senate to pass. Postal service reform, something that uh, comes up every once in a while, and we never seem to get quite to where we need to go uh, with that. But the legislation got bipartisan support this week in a procedural vote in the Senate. Uh, So remind listeners what the bill would do and how likely it is that we'll actually help the the Postal Service uh, survive into the future. Well, this is uh, significant uh, legislation that I've been working on for some time, and we're right on the edge of uh, passing it. I'll say that we've been waiting 15 years for this reform, uh, basically, uh, changes uh, for the Postal Service to make sure that they are on sound financial footing and can make the kinds of investments to enhance uh, customer service uh, and delivery. And uh, this uh, bill, as you mentioned, uh, received broad bipartisan support. In fact, when I introduced uh, the bill, I had uh, 14 Democratic co-sponsors and 14 Republican co-sponsors, uh, broad bipartisan uh, support. And what it'll do is uh, it will help uh, financially uh, the uh, the status of the Postal Service by getting rid of a major obligation they have right now, which is to pre-fund all uh, retirement health care, uh, even if an individual may not use that health care for decades. There's no company in America that has to do that. There's no government mm-hmm. agency in the country that has to do that. The Postal Service is 
saddled with an incredibly onerous uh, obligation. Uh, that'll be eliminated. Uh, we'll also allow the Postal Service to have their retirees integrate into Medicare system like every other company in America to treat them the same way as every other company. And and, uh, and I may add, the postal workers have been paying into the Medicare system for their mm-hmm. entire career uh, as well. These are just common sense fixes. But we're also uh, looking at service reforms to make sure that we codify six-day delivery to make sure the Postal Service is there for you. Six days to get your medicines and other critical things that come through the mail. We're also going to have greater transparency to monitor Postal Service efficiency and and uh, delivery rates. So you will actually be able to go online and uh, look at uh, on-time delivery for postal uh, services uh, by zip code. So if you feel you're getting delays in your zip code, you can look at what's happening and where that is relative to the country. That will identify problem areas that have to be fixed and bring more efficiency uh, to it. We're also going to allow the Postal Service to use all of their postal offices around the country for non-postal type activities, too, which will generate more revenue for the Postal Service so they can continue to be uh, that that service that everybody relies on to deliver mail to every single address uh, in America. This this is about a a $50 billion help for the uh, Postal Service. It's not a complete fix for what we have to do. There's a lot more we have to do. But it is a major step forward uh, that should have been done 15 years ago that we're going to finally get done, hopefully, in the coming days. Yeah. Okay. Uh, U.S. Senator Gary Peters, a Democrat from here in Michigan. It's always great to have you here on the show. Thanks for coming by to talk about the State of the Union. Thank you, Stephen. Always a pleasure to be with you. Okay, we want to get going on the phones and on social media. Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Tell us what you thought of what President Joe Biden said last night during his first formal State of the Union address. Uh, What did you think about what he decided he wants to do with uh, the situation in Russia, uh, in Ukraine, with the Russians invading? Uh, What did you think of the domestic agenda that the president laid out, both the things that he took credit for that have already happened, as well as the things that he says we still need to be working on. Also, what did you make of the positioning that the president is making for himself and his party as we work up to the midterm elections later this year in November? As always, the number on the phones is 313 577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET uh, Facebook page, uh, put comments there, or to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Also, give us a call and let us know what you thought of Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, uh, one of our uh, representatives in, in Washington, and the response that she gave to Joe Biden's address. She's of the same party as the president, but she had some things to say about how much more she thinks uh, Democrats and Congress in general should be achieving, particularly for working families. Uh, I want to read some social media comments and then get to the phones. Dave on Twitter says, we need to diversify our mobility as well as the jobs surrounding mobility. When gas prices rise, people need working alternatives. We've built an environment for cars that's dangerous to walk and bike in, and we've defunded public transit so it barely works. We need alternatives. Another listener writes, uh, you're right, Ms. Tlaib. The people of Russia are not behind this brutal, unprovoked attack on Ukraine. Let's not forget this very important point. That was something that uh, Rashida Tlaib pointed out when she was with us uh, earlier on the show. Uh, let's get to the phones. Uh, Stephen in Rochester, 
you're up first. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, I just I I did like Biden Biden's speech, but I mean it's it's just it sounds like a bunch of empty promises. It sounded very progressive, you know, like he wants the child tax credit. You know, he's talking about um, you know, unions and like making sure like working families are taken care of, but like these are all the same people that have continuously voted against um, a lot of these things. I heard the crowd, you know, I heard the the chamber like clapping at all this stuff. And it's just like, like, I really feel like none of these people actually care um, just based on, on their, how, how they vote. I mean, you have people like Kristen Sinema and, and Joe Manchin just continuously blocking um, we had opportunities during Obama to take care of a lot more things than uh, than got done. And now that we have a 50-50 Senate, I mean, I just I realistically don't see any of the things that he talked about in his State of the Union getting done. So, so Stephen, I got a couple of questions for you. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to argue about, you know, the, the, the difficulty that Democrats face um, you know, trying to get their agenda en- enacted. But in 12 months, in the first 12 months of Joe Biden's presidency, we saw them pass a major infrastructure bill. I mean, a huge infrastructure bill that is going to make a huge, huge difference in every state. But but think of what it's going to do here in Michigan with uh, not just roads and bridges, but also with, uh, you know, the infrastructure under the ground, lead pipes and and all these other kind of things. They also got uh, the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 uh, passed. This is this huge COVID-19 stimulus package, uh, $1.9 trillion that uh, is flowing into state capitals and to to, to cities, uh, coffers, and and making a difference in terms of some of the things that they did. Now, no question, there are lots of other things on the agenda that didn't happen in the first 12 months. Now, again, remember, this is an administration that's just over a year old. But I guess my question to you is, is it fair to say that they can't get anything done when they did get two pretty big things done and they're still working on these others? What, what do you make of that, Stephen? I mean, we have bridges, like bridges in Pennsylvania collapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, I, every, every time I drive down mound, uh, it's absolutely destroyed. And, and a lot of, uh, a lot of these corporations that use these roads get, get huge tax breaks and they, but yet they use, you know, like, uh, GM right, right there we go, you know, I, I do work for GM and like those streets right there are, are atrocious. I mean, like you got to watch, you got to look like you're driving drunk to not hit potholes in some instances. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I see, I see, you know, the same thing on both sides where it's corporate tax breaks for, you know, uh, big, big corporations like Ford and GM and, and Tesla and hmm. Amazon and, and all, a lot of these, a lot of them barely pay taxes. 
I mean, they do, but you, you get what I mean. Like, they get these huge incentives, and, like, the roads don't get fixed. And like, So you just I don't mean, think it'll – you think none of it will make uh, – you think none I of mean, it will make a difference? They, they obviously – obviously things will get fixed. I mean, the – I can't remember exactly, but um, I think the, the bill for, for removing the lead pipes really only takes care of, like, 60% of them. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that they, they haven't done anything, but they've had a ton of infighting, you know, and you have, you have Democrats, you know, LARPing as, uh, or you have conservatives and, and Republicans LARPing as Democrats, you know, I mean, you know, I, I always say that those Democrats are elected, uh, right? And they're elected by people who wanted them to go to Congress as Democrats. Uh, this idea that they're not Democrats is, is kind of dangerous. It's that it, it dismisses the fact that there are people who are Democrats who are kind of conservative uh, when it comes to certain certain things. Stephen, I, I do really appreciate uh, the call and the uh, the comments. I think they were very thoughtful uh, response to what the president is saying. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue talking about the president's State of the Union address. We're going to welcome another voice to the conversation, John Truscott, CEO of the Truscott Rossman PR firm, someone who worked on uh, President George W. Bush's presidential transition team in 2000 and, of course, uh, was a spokesperson for John Engler when he was governor here in Michigan. We also want to continue to hear from you about uh, the speech and what you thought of the ideas in it. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. We're talking about President Joe Biden's first formal State of the Union address, which was delivered last night in Washington before a joint session of Congress. We're talking about the ideas that he laid out for his agenda for the next year, the things he talked about that he's already achieved uh, since he was elected in 2020 and took office Last January, uh, we want to hear from you about those things. What do you think about the job he's doing? What do you think about the things that he says he would like to do? Uh, also, um, give us a sense of what you make of some of the responses we saw to the president's address, which included uh, some Democratic uh, representatives and groups who said, hey, we, we need to go further than what the, the president is talking about doing. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, to Facebook or Twitter, 
and put comments there. I want to welcome another voice to the conversation as well. John Truscott is CEO of the Truscott Rossman PR firm. He's someone who has been involved in Republican politics for a very long time, including being the spokesperson to former Governor John Angler. John, welcome back to Detroit Today. It is great to hear your voice, Stephen. It's been way too long. Yes, it has. Uh, So let's start here. What did you think of what the president said last night? You know, when I go into a speech like this, I look at, does it really tell a story? Does it inspire and, and pull people in? Does it motivate people to line up behind your agenda? And I think he completely missed the mark. Um, he had a, a laundry list of items, really did not have the rhetorical flourishes that a speech like this would normally have. And that's what you kind of depend on to get the politician, hmm. the, the, the folks that you're, you're depending on to vote for your, your, your agenda. Nothing really pulled them in. Um, and it was uh, a laundry list of things that he has already proposed um, and hasn't had the political capital to get passed. There was really nothing new. And I thought he missed the mark in really addressing the crises that, that the country is facing from uh, everything from war overseas to inflation to just the, the mess that has really driven his poll numbers down. I don't think he did anything to help himself there. Hmm. So do you feel like, I mean, Joe Biden is not a great, you know, uh, stem winder speech maker. Um, and I can't think of any instance of him doing that. And of course, this is somebody who's had uh, real challenges, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to just being able to get up and give a, a speech like that. I, I, I wonder if you can talk about, uh, you know, when you were in the position of helping uh, John Angler uh, give this kind of speech. How much do you account for what your what your politician is is capable of uh, versus what 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 you need to do? I, I thought the president did a decent job of talking about things in terms of their relevance to to people's lives. But but I agree with you that that there was less storytelling less narrative in this speech than we normally see in, in a sure. state of the union. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, the way I look at it is there's the written speech. So when you read it, it reads like a book or, or you know, a short story. And then there's the, the spoken word, which, you know, the, the speaker is reading that from a teleprompter. Um, and I think if people went back and read this speech, it would be um, disappointing in, in terms of its motivational factor. And I'll point out just a few specifics. So um, he talked about, well, we're going to reduce inflation, just cut your cost. And he's talking to corporate America. But yet at the same time, we're going to add on more regulation. We want to bring more production onshore, which I completely support. Mm -hmm. But there are costs to that. You know, our costs tend to run higher than, than China. So if you're going to bring it back, that's not going to allow you as a manufacturer to cut your costs. So I was noting these contradictory uh, type comments in the substance or the policy that he was trying to promote. And I think that's what people really dig into. I think the bottom line for him and for Democrats heading into a midterm, there was nothing in his speech that's going to move the needle. Hmm. Um, he is not going to be get be able to get a lot of the agenda items done that he's been fighting for for a year. Um, and there's no way that anything in the short term will fix the, the malaise that, that people feel about the policy. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Bill in Windsor. Bill, welcome to the show. God. Yes. Hey, Bill. Good morning. 
Hey. Hello. Go yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, uh, I'm calling from Windsor, Ontario. Uh-huh. And um, I'm very, very concerned that so much credence is being given to Mr. Biden when his, his polling numbers are down in the, the mid-30 percentile. There are so many things wrong. And, and, you know, you're saying, well, who am I as a Canadian to, to cast stones? <laughs> we have the very same thing going on here in Canada with our own government, uh, who's a socialistic uh, bent on driving Canadians into taking more and more and more government subsidies and loans and whatnot. Pretty soon, the United States is going to go into receivership with the, the way Mr. Biden is, is spending trillions of dollars that he doesn't really have. The same thing is happening over here in Canada with 34 million people uh, where the previous conservative government left a surplus of $10 billion, and five years later we're over a trillion dollars in debt. For a very small com um, uh, population, uh, when, you, when you look at what's going on in, in the United States, it's, it's the same dynamics. So, so Bill, you know, did I, you – yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I think that it's great um, what's happening uh, in um, with NATO with respect to what's going on in the Ukraine. It's a great atrocity, and I'm proud of the fact that Canada and the United States and all the other NATO countries are trying to do what they can yeah. uh, to support these poor people. Yeah, uh, Bill. I mean, uh, Bill, I really appreciate the call and 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 the comments. And and before I ask uh, John Truscott to talk about debt, uh, I do want to point out that we are coming off of a Republican administration that took office promising to pay off the uh, U.S. debt, the pay down the national debt in eight years. Uh, instead. Uh, Donald Trump added $7.8 trillion to the national debt, a lot of it fueled by the Tax Cut and, and Jobs Act, which was one of the first things that, that he, he passed. It took lots of money out of the Treasury to be able to pay for things uh, like that. But, but John, react to what, uh, what Bill's saying here. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I agree. What, what we've seen with NATO is, is a wonderful thing. Um, it's it's strengthened the resolve of our European allies. I, I don't believe we are doing enough uh, in Ukraine. I've been to Ukraine. I know the Ukrainian people, and this really tugs at my heart like you can't believe. Um, but, you know, it, as it relates to the speech, um, going back to, and I kind of go back to how politicians roll things out, mm -hmm. you know, if, if I were in that chair, I would not have lifted the mask mandate on the day of the state of the state, because I think people see that as a, as a cynical move. Um, you know, COVID is not over in one day. This is something that could have been done earlier, and then it's not a wag the dog kind of uh, move. So, I, you know, I think that that missed the mark, got overshadowed. And you look at, at points like releasing 60 million barrels from the Strategic Reserve. That's three days worth of supply. That's nothing. So um, why are you even doing it? And, and Asian markets, uh, gas shot up $5 or oil shot up $5 a barrel immediately on that because now you're taking away the strategic reserve, which is there for time of crisis. So, you know, these these moves that were meant to have a big impact actually, I think, are are backfiring because on a, from a policy perspective, they're just not very well thought out. Mm -hmm. Again, Bill, really appreciate the call and uh, the comments. Uh, let's go to Christina in Birmingham. Christina, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Stephen. Thanks. Hey, yeah, sure. I have to say, I um, I thought it was a phenomenal speech, and I disagree with uh, John Engler's uh, former speechwriter, Mr. Truscott, in some of his remarks. I really thought it was inspiring, and I think we need to commend the president for leveraging this opportunity to uh, really bring the country together. I think he showed remarkable restraint in keeping uh, partisan comments to a minimum, not using the opportunity to talk about the divisiveness that there has been and the um, unrelenting opposition to his agenda and instead focusing on what unites us all. And that is standing against Ukraine or excuse me, standing against the uh, a Putin as he you know, invades Ukraine and his line after line in talking about that, in, in saying what he believes um, we can all stand behind, the resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny, a line that was, you know, carefully calculated to make sure that every American could give that a standing ovation, whether in the chamber or not. Mm. And I thought he did that over and over again and really deserves to be commended for that. I think in each one of his key speeches, he has shown restraint in not going as partisan as previous presidents have on both sides of the aisle. And for that, he deserves high marks. The right, uh, the right tone at this really critical time for our country. I think, yeah, uh, Christina, I really appreciate that perspective. And as you, as you say, uh, as someone who coaches people <laughs> on, on giving speeches, uh, John Truscott, I, it is true that the president got a lot of bipartisan standing ovations last night. Something we haven't seen an awful lot uh, in recent. <laughs> Uh, states of the, the union speeches. Uh, I also, I, I also feel like uh, Christine is right that he he did not lean into uh, the division and the divisiveness that that we've seen in the way that uh, certainly his his immediate pre- predecessor uh, did when he was giving these speeches. Well, you know, I'm not a huge Trump fan. I mean, I like no, where the country was, but, you know, especially when he's doing meddling in Michigan politics right now, I'm, I'm really displeased with him on that. And I, I do want to say, you know, regarding the, the debt that was mentioned previously, I, look, I, I blame on a bipartisan level both sides for the kind of the debt that's been run up. And I'd be supportive of a balanced budget amendment like all the states have. So that's where I come on that. <laughs> there has to be some restraint put in. But, you know, overall, and, and I'll give the president credit, there were some lines that, that were very well done and delivered, the more uh, unifying type things. I, I don't think that was the majority of the speech. I think um, a lot of the policies that he's doubling down on are divisive in nature, um, and it's why he hasn't gotten the votes uh, out of the Congress. And I don't think he did anything to move the needle. Now, if he would have worked a deal that, you know, we, we really need to produce more domestic energy, uh, to help Europe and, and export it over there. I think that would have gotten a lot of Republican support. It would have helped economically, um, and especially the times we're in. And it would have shown an acknowledgement that we are in an extraordinary situation right now that demands a slightly different approach, even if only temporary. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, Christina, really uh, appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go next to Joe in Rochester Hills. Joe, what's on your mind? Hi, Stephen. Hey. Yeah, thanks for thanks for your show, man. I uh, I love you, your, your topics, and uh, and what you bring to the oh, table. I, it's great. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, my my observation uh, from the from the address. Uh, well, actually, because of some of the other comments. Yeah, I, I think Biden was. You know, he he moderated well. He he wasn't. Uh, you know, pushing. Uh, 
you know, the bipartisan at all. Um, but then when you get to the Republican response, um, I mean, I think it was all scripted. I mean, everybody, everybody that you talk to that, that, that's been on the radio or other TV or other from the Republican side, you know, oh, yeah, Biden's, you know, he caused the inflation. He did this. He did that. He did everything. He's doing nothing good. You know, uh, I, I, the one that really got me last night was the governor of Iowa. I mean, she's talking about, you know, subsidies. I mean, uh, I'd love to see the per capita subsidies in Iowa for agriculture and for beef and, and everything. And, <laughs> and she's, you know, she's talking like, oh, yeah, we don't need any of that stuff. Give me a break, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Joe, I uh, appreciate uh, you, the call on that specific reference. Of course, that GOP response was given by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. Uh, John, I want to get you a chance to respond to Joe, but but I also want to have you talk about some of the Republican response in the chamber. Uh, Lauren Boebert and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, shouting at the president at times during during the speech. Uh, what do we make of, of this kind of behavior? Which is, I, I don't you, support that at all. Yeah, I didn't uh, there's think a certain would. decorum with this speech. Um, if you're not favorable, just sit there on your hands and listen. Uh, that's what you do. You're, the the time for shouting and things like that, that's after the speech is done. It's outside the chamber. Um, <laughs> these days it's on Twitter. Um, but no, the, uh, that, that was uh, highly inappropriate. What I do want to say overall, you know, in terms of uh, who gets credit, who gets blame, all that, when you are the leader, whether you're president or governor, you, you get to take credit for the good things that are going on, but you also <laughs> take the blame for the bad things. It's just the nature of the job. And I think that's what we're seeing from the American people right now is, you know, we're, we're in a pretty tough position as a country with so many uh, crises going on that in previous times we dealt with kind of one at a time and they're all piling on. And I, I think this is uh, going to have a, a great effect uh, in the midterm election. It's what's driving the, the president's poll numbers. He's just, he has not had an ability to address them successfully. Mm. Um, and I, I don't see how anything gets turned around, you know, even within a year, because even policies, when they have an effect on the economy or or what, what it, whatever it may be, they take six, nine months, even a year to actually, you know, from policy to actually seeing results from implementation, it's a very slow ship to turn. So we're we're looking at um, a tough slog for, mm. for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I I hear you, and I think there are a lot of people who feel that way. I I also have this weird, um, I guess, issue with with the you know, if you look at the economy overall. Uh, you know, uh, most things are going really well right now. I mean, people's portfolios look great. Wages are going up. Unemployment is down. I mean, uh, there's a lot that is happening that's that's working. But you're right that that people seem very worried about the things that uh, that aren't going well. And, and, you know, inflation is on the top of that list. But there's there's several other things. Yeah. Too. And even though wages are up, inflation is eating all that away. So uh, uh, it, you know, right. uh, are we really getting ahead? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's always great to talk with you, John. You too, Scott. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks so much. Glad to do it. All right. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow and we're going to talk about how we should now be managing the COVID pandemic. We'll also have a conversation with local clerks who are urging state leaders to pass election reforms before it's too late to have an effect on the 2022 election cycle. 
This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>